We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And a pleasant good afternoon to everyone out there in Irish Breakdown land. It is Friday, which means it's Mailbag Friday, Brian, and I am so fired up, probably more fired up than I should be for a guy who woke up when I woke up to do uh, the morning show uh, at the local radio station. But man, I am a lot more awake than I, now than I was then, and uh, I am ready to rock and roll. Brian, how are you doing this Friday? I'm doing great, man. We, we're 20 seconds into the show 50 seconds in the show. We've already got a super chat, but I'm doing good, man. We made it through the week. Got Woo. the mailbag Friday and uh, going to gonna have some fun today. So it's Absolutely. been a good day. We had our first. It was kind of funny. We had a, one of the our, our uh, regulars here in the um, in the chat bought a, our first onesie. We sold a Gap Closers yeah. onesie today, so I was fired up about that. <laughs> you know, so people asked for it, put it in there, and then nobody bought it until today. So... Uh, very excited about that and, uh, you know, ready to rock and roll with you here. If Vince. I still had onesie enabled children, I would have bought one. I know, but, right? Know, if, if you I, put, if you put that in Liam right now, I'd be like, that's not right. It might fit over his thigh. That's, that's not you know, right. <laughs> but do you have them ones that would fit a 14 year old? Cause I think that would be fun. No. Yeah. I'm going to have a co- talk conversation with you about what I'm going to do with your 14 year old after this conversation. <laughs> Cause, uh, <clears throat> my, my lawn's already a mess. Go so, get, you just, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, he owes you one. <clears throat> we had that talk. Yeah. Anyway. But we have a super chat before we get started. Andrew Sakalowski says, by the way, I once my, told my fiance, if you can't handle me during Michigan 2019, you don't deserve me at Clemson 2020. She is now an Irish fan. That is awesome. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is awesome. Me. That is awesome. That's all. That, that is, is awesome. Uh, what a great way to kick this thing off, man. Yep. Yep, a lot of conversation going on. Um, Brandon talking about a, a post game experience he had. Met Sibikowski, Jeff Samarja, Harrison Smith, Armando. I mean, some really, some yeah, some really good stuff going on. Really good stuff going on. And but I, hey, Vince, yes, go ahead, buddy. Oh, I was just gonna say uh, the last part of his uh, little story about going everywhere in the press box, up, down, left, right. They don't allow that anymore. Now that they got the new press box, let me tell you, you are cemented into your spot. So, because yeah. I, I remember, go, I would, I would kind of walk around, go up the photo deck. You remember going yeah. to the photo deck? Yeah, that's where we did. Remember, we did uh, video from up there before I they eventually the shut us down. 
I love Angela would go. There. Well, I recruit. I, I recorded during 2010, and then Angela did it after that. Okay. Me. And so yeah, I'd go up there and see her. And I, I told I, a story I, once about the 2015 USC game. I went up there to check on her. USC had just gone and scored. Remember that? That USC mm-hmm. would took the first drive right down this field. I went up to check on her. She's having some kind of camera issue. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll just I'll just watch this first play of the series before I hustle down. Because it was a quick run. I mean, it's a quick, you know, yeah. you, can, you yep. can get there between plays. And that's when Fuller obviously beat a Dory Jackson on that post route for a touchdown. That, was, that place was loud. That, that was place awesome. was loud. Now you could handle the press box. Yeah, so. if you could handle standing next to the giant speaker, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I'll never forget that play because the whole yeah. week leading up to it, it was, oh, Adoree Jackson's going to shut down Will Fuller and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, whoop, whoop. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was great. It was. I mean, he did a good job during pregame warm-ups. You know, his technique was really good. You know, it looked sure. like he could. But then once the game started, he oh, couldn't cover Will Fuller. That was awesome. And I, my one photo deck story is uh, back when Nate Montana was on the team. I went up to oh. the photo deck. Ended up standing next to Joe Montana the entire yeah. The entire I, uh, game. I had one of those instances too. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, not that we had like a conversation, but we were talking back and forth. A little, a little strange. Bit. It was yeah. very obvious that Joe Montana didn't want me to speak to him. So I did. Correct. Which and is I was why up I there was... working anyway. Yeah. So I was like, whatever. Right. But I was like, hey, I, the only thing I said to them is like, could you all back up a little bit? Because they kept getting closer and closer to me. And I'm, I got this camera, <laughs> right? And you all keep like leaning me. And I'm like, you and your family need to take a step back. I don't care who they you were are. Always I, up I got there. a job to do. Yeah. Everyone was up there. All right, so, you ready to jump in here? I'm ready to roll, man. I'm ready to roll. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm gonna let you say this name because is it? Uh... I sell for two K. Wow. Okay. Cool. That's what I'm, I'm guessing. Might have been easier than I thought. Okay. It's uh, I sell for two K. Says who would you like to see next in the class? I'd like to see an offensive player, and and and, and really, I have one of three players in mind, and I don't really care which one it is. I'd like to see one of the two receivers. I'd like to see C.J. Williams or. Uh, Tobias Merriweather, I'd like to see Billy Shrouf. I think yep. those are the three, three guys that are possibilities right now that could potentially commit this summer. And if Notre Dame can get them, I, I like, look, w- there's a lot of negativity going on about the offensive recruiting, and rightfully so. It's justified. I mean, they're not set, they're not living up even close to the standard of what the defensive staff is doing. They're losing more top players right now than they're getting. That's just reality. But there are still enough players on the board where this offensive class could end up still being really good. I mean, not not just good and it's okay, but I mean really good. And, uh, you know, you're talking about two possibly top ten receivers in the country and Tobias Merriweather and C.J. Williams, if they can get them. Billy Shrouth would give them, in my opinion, a third top 200 offensive lineman. Is it a, would it be a great offensive line class? No. Would it be a pretty good offensive line class? Yeah one of the better tight end duos in the country, if not the top tight end duo in the country. And you got a four, a four-star running back in Jadarian Price and then Steve Angeli. So, uh, and then who knows what a Warren Walker is going to do if he's going to blow up. So this offensive class still has a chance to be really good. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the offensive class that's going to determine whether this is a top five recruiting class. The defense is kind of like, okay, we did our part. What do you guys got? You yeah. know, But there's still a couple of defensive players I'd like to see commit. I just don't know if any of them are going to be committing – anytime soon so that's why they're not on my list i think the guys who could potentially go next are going to be offensive players gotcha all right i'm with you on that one I, there's no no reason for me to comment I, I agree with you um i'm gonna okay nolan says that strength and conditioning coach ranking that brian posted on twitter is hilarious and in a bad way i'd love to hear more from vince and brian 
about that list. Did you I, see I that? I just pulled it up. I just yeah. pulled it up, and I was kind of looking at it as you were talking. Uh, sorry about that. When I was starting to read the question, I was fighting a sneeze. You know when you get that feeling like I thought I was going to sneeze all oh, yeah. over you guys. So I apologize. It, it's worse to not sneeze. That's, right. that's the thing for me is I'd rather just right. get the sneeze over with. Yes, exactly. I was like yeah, playing with the mute button. I was like, okay, no, okay. Um, but uh, this is the first time I've looked at it. And how is Matt Bale is thirty five? Number one, and the fact that the guy who used to work for him is rank what was it again um, there's two guys that have, have oh, were, were strength coaches at notre dame <laughs> okay that are ahead of him you got david Ballou, who's okay, eight number Bama, eight. and i have no issue with david Ballou being eighth at okay. all uh i have an issue with him being eighth ahead of matt bayless matt right. bayless should be ahead of him thank you and and then also aaron wellman at indiana who replaced matt david Ballou, who also used to work at notre dame right is 27th right ahead of matt bayless who was 35th I don't know who this big game boomer person is and and, and people keep putting their lists out and, and I would imagine this kind of this kind of conversation is why they put out these stupid lists. But you know some of the stuff they've put out has been like a little like whatever. Some of it's okay, some of it's dumb. This is bad. And not just that, but they have Mickey Marathi from Ohio State 7th. Like I mean they got the guy from Coastal Carolina fourth, Rob Glass from Oklahoma State right. third. I mean, it's just it's a weird list. And the only reason to have Aaron Feld number one from Oregon is if you're just basing it off the mustache. He's got that curly, you know, that curled up mustache <laughs> thing. You know that Raleigh fingers looking. I thing. do. Yeah, I like those. But yeah, I mean, here's here's some of the people that are ahead of Matt Bayless: Texas Tech, Arkansas, Michigan State, NC State, Utah State, Minnesota, UCF, Indiana, Air Force, UNC. Texas, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Rutgers, Rutgers, Ole Miss, Louisville. I mean, Iowa State, Northwestern. I mean, it just Nebraska's not. I mean, like, okay, so you're telling me their strength coaches at some of these schools are just phenomenal, but the rest of the program sucks. You, right. you know, I mean, and and it's here's things you look at. Say, okay, one home loss in four years. Think about that. Matt Bayless lost. Matt Bayless when Matt since Matt Bayless hired Notre Dame lost their second home game that they had under him. That was. Second game of the 2017 season. They have not lost at home since. Right. That's a span of almost four full seasons. They have not lost at home. I think I counted, Vince. They're like 14 and two in November, and two of those losses were in the first November. They have not lost a game in November in three years, in, in the last three seasons. And that was a huge knock on this program, was, right? Was no, the November swoon, right? And, and then you look at what they've done at the combine. We talk every year about everybody's yeah. shocked that these Notre Dame players dominate the combine. And I'm like, at what point are you going to stop being surprised by it and right. realize that reflection. what Matt Bayless is doing? And so yeah. I got a chuckle out of it. You know, I don't even know what the criteria is. It's just some random tweet. I don't put a lot of stuff into that, but. Uh, Matt Bayless is to me one of the five to eight best strength coaches in the country. And the only reason I say five to eight is just I just don't know enough about some of these other strength programs to to say for sure he's top three. You know, I'm just giving some wiggle room. But I mean, with what he's done, and it's one of the better jobs I've seen in a very long time. You are, by the way, I'm uh, perusing your uh, your Twitter feed and the the pro football focus top 10 defenses entering the oh my god can we talk about that for a let's second let's do it i they realize unless you did you yeah. see my response to that that was I... one of the snarkiest things i've ever put on twitter <laughs> great i mean they had louisiana in there 
right? Mm-hmm. Just fine, whatever. UAB. Yes. They had LSU in there. Didn't LSU UAB gave up just... 34.9 points per game last year. Right. And didn't UAB just like reinstate their program like a year and a half ago well, or something? No, it's been been about four or five years now. And, and, and they've done a really long? good okay. job. Yeah, their, their coach has done a really nice job. It's a, it's a good program. But, I mean, it's just to have them as one of the 10 best defenses is just, just beyond stupid, it's if laughable. we're being honest. And, and, you know, I mean – Goodness gracious. It's yeah, just so the, the whole LSU in the top 10. Yeah, read that. That's I'm, I'm going to read it. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Georgia. Number three, Clemson. Number four, Cincinnati. Number five, Washington. Number six, Texas A&M. Number seven, UAB. Number eight, Louisiana. Number nine, Pittsburgh. And number 10, LSU. Now, the Washington one, I don't get either. I mean, they only played four games last year. They gave up 21, 27, 21, and 31 points in those four games. Right. You know, I mean, I, I yeah, I, there's so many things in there. It's like, what do you, but this is also the same organization that doesn't think Michael Mayer is a top 10 player and doesn't think Kyron Williams is a right. top 10 player. And also had someone uh, from their organization rank Brian Kelly's the 12th best head coach in college football. Exactly. So, <laughs> pro foot, it's almost like they've become like the Babylon B of, it's like if, if you were to tell me for the last two months they've been trolling us and they've been just putting out these bad takes just for fun, like Babylon B <laughs> takes, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I get it now. I mean, that's that's how bad some of these things that they put out are. And it's sad because they used to be a, an organization I yeah. really respected a lot, but they've become a, just a, an absolute joke. It's like they went out and hired people just by like just walking out in the street and be like, hey, man, do you, you can do football? The NCAA back in the day? Yeah, I did. Come on. We're going to hire you to, to, to do analysis. <laughs> it is that bad looking at these lists. I just mind boggling. LSU. Yeah, LSU, who gave up almost 35 points a game last year. So all of a sudden, right. Marax is going to become a top 10 defense because he got rid of Bo Pelini. And, and hired their backup to Marcus Freeman. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right, here we go. JoJo jumping in. Happy Friday, guys, and IB Nation. Great week with Snead and Morrison in the class. Can you anticipate our defense be a 3-3-5 or a 4-2-5? Or would we be more of a 4-3 with Coach Freeman, or depends on who we play. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> you I mean, will see look, all the of The reality is, is, yes, we're not going to see them line up in the same looks. I mean, the, the thing about Clark Lee's defense, and, and again, it worked. This it, it worked. They lined up in basic looks, and, and it was about, you know, last year got a little bit more complicated, and I think part of it is because they had to, because they just didn't have the, the players everywhere that they've had in past years, but it was – you know, line up, know your job, you know, go to the ball, that kind of thing. Sure. Rely on being smart veteran players. Sure. That's not who Marcus Freeman is. And I and I think that's why I think that change is going to be good. We're going to see three three five. We're going to see four two five. We're going to be four three. And I don't think the commitments of Jalen Sneed and Benjamin Morrison have anything to do with that. It's just that's what they wanted to do. They needed they wanted four linebackers and they would have needed four linebackers, whether they're in a four-two-five or whether they're going to do a four-three or a three-three-five or whatever the case may be. So, I don't think that has anything to do with it. And Benjamin Morrison's going to play cover one in this defense, whether they're playing a four-down, three-down, two-down, five-down front. It doesn't matter. Right. We're going to see a very multiple defense. We're going to see a defense that's going to look like a four-two-five one week, and it's going to look like a three-three-five the next, depending on who they play. So, uh, I just. We, we, we kind of I think what we need to do is we're going to have to get to the point where we start identifying this defense based on the personnel more so than the looks. Yeah. 
because the looks are going to be so varied. Like, well, what what package were they in there? Okay, they were in a three three five uh, personnel, right? Only had three D linemen on the field. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times they're in a three three five alignment. But as Isaiah Foskey is going to be the one, one of the linebackers moving around, or Jordan Patello is going to be one of the guys moving around. The other three are going to be in a down position. And it's going to look like a three-three-five, but they're in right. four-down personnel. Yep. Just be prepared for that. It's going to be a lot of fun, and oh, we're yeah. going to we're going to do a little bit of a you know chalk talk on that here soon. And we're very very close. We're hoping this weekend we'll fi- finalize getting that stuff. Vincent, I have a project to do this weekend, and hopefully by the time we're done with it, we'll be ready to start our our football 101s. They could be here before you know it, just uh, FYI. They better uh, be. I don't want to say too much about it because well, we just, don't want to want to get it done first. But yeah. Absolutely. We don't want to promise what we can't deliver, as they say. Uh, Nolan uh, commenting on the strength and condition says, I skew more pessimistic, if that's what you want to call it. But the one aspect of the program, I feel like Notre Dame can match up with anyone. It's the strength and conditioning program. The results speak for themselves. Could yeah. not agree more. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I would say that that is the part of the program that was kind of leading the way there for right. a little bit. I mean, that was the that you could put against anybody. Yeah, it know? was one of the things that was dragging the program down. And honestly, you watch that Alabama game. The, the one thing Notre Dame did was physically match up with Alabama from a strength yes. endurance standpoint. Alabama out-athleted Notre Dame on the perimeter. Even the play, I've and I've pointed this out before, go back and watch the play where, where Najee Harris leaps over Nick McLeod. The Notre Dame defensive line took the Alabama offensive line and drove them about three yards in the backfield. Yeah. They ran into Najee Harris. Yes. Drew White didn't get off a block. I think he got held. Didn't get outside, or you know, so so then he had to kind of bounce it outside. But the D line did their job. They took a massive Alabama offensive line multiple times in that game and just drove them into the backfield, you know. And and they couldn't finish plays off at linebacker the second second and third levels. But the front four did their job, and that was against the best offensive line in the country. Well, Notre Dame doesn't exactly have the biggest defensive line either. Right. And they did that because they have a great strength conditioning program. Well, a big part of it is, I mean, there's talent and they're coached well. But I mean, the strength program is a big piece of that. Oh, here we go. Uh, Shane says, with Agu committing to Vandy, do you think there's any hard feelings between the ND staff and Clark Lee? Not sure the backstory here. I'm sure that ticked Notre Dame off a little bit. I don't know that for sure. I have no one told yeah, me we're that. we're speculating. I haven't, yeah. I haven't reached out to that because I feel like that would be kind of like soap opera-ish. Hey, are you upset about that? <laughs> I'm sure that'll come up in conversation at some point if they're pissed off, but it would piss me off if I was Notre Dame. Like, yeah, look, man, too. you know, it's one thing for us to go toe-to-toe with a kid. I, I get that. But for you to be telling a kid what he can or can't do at our program, you know, it's like, mm. or be one thing if a kid decommitted and then, you know, a month down the road, right. because he decommitted they then... because he was going right. to flip to Vanderbilt. I mean, yeah. immediately from the moment he decommitted, there were crystal balls going in for Vanderbilt. Right. So people knew. And, exactly. and, and who is the main, like, who's the, the, the right hand man of Clark Lee at Vanderbilt? It's Barton Simmons. What was Barton Simmons? He used to be the lead guy at 247. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's not that hard to figure out. Yeah. Right. So. I'd, yeah. I'd be a little ticked off, but do I know anything there? No. Do I have any backstory? No. I just no. know that if it was me, it'd piss me off. And again, that's not to say that, you know, Clark Lee shouldn't try to get do what's right by his Vanderbilt program. But I mean, I, I know for a fact that there was a, you know, I've said this before, that that 
you know, I've heard from a good source that Notre Dame purposely didn't go after JoJo Johnson early on because he was committed to Cincinnati because of that respect for the program at Cincinnati and the fact that Mike Mickens knew the head coach, used to coach there, and felt that it wasn't sure. the right thing to do because he knew he could flip them. You know what I mean? It's a little bit of a different situation. But, you know, the, Notre Dame didn't get on him until after he decommitted. Right, right. So, you know, there's there's a right way and a wrong way to go about things. And, you know, based on what little I know about the situation, I don't think it was necessarily the right thing. But I also don't think it's a, a huge deal where it's like it would create any hard feels like, come on, man. You know, like, dude, you're better than that. But it exactly. wouldn't mean like the next time I see him, I wouldn't dap him up or, you know, ask, hey, how's the kids doing? You know, how sure. you, you know, it's still, it, it's not something like that, but it did tick me off a little bit. We do got a super chat, man. We got a super chat. Up yeah, hit it. From our, from our guy, Patrick Barnes. Yeah, he says, what do you guys think of Brian Pulling and his job with special teams? He seems to be allergic to returning punts. I wouldn't mind seeing another guy as special teams coordinator. I, I, Vince, I, I'll um I think Vince and I are on the same page there, Vince. If you want to go ahead and answer this one, because I th- I think you and I are on the same page. On yeah, this I so the the whole thing about not returning punts, I think that's bigger than him specifically. I think yeah, because that, that was an issue before he got here. Yeah, I think that that that's a program thing, not a special teams coordinator thing. I I will say that because when Brian uh, when John Goodman was doing that in 2012, Brian Pauline was not at Notre Dame. Right, he was at Nevada. Uh, or was he at was? Texas A&M at the time? Oh, that's right. There I forget when stop. he, yeah. yeah he went to Stanford right. and A&M that yeah. before he became the head coach. You're right. Nevada. You're right. Um, but I, but I will say the coverage units for special teams are excellent. They're, mm-hmm. They are. They're the covered, like the punt, the punt cover team, the kickoff team. Excellent. They're, they're really, really good. They've been I top would, 20 each of the last two years. Though. Yeah. I, I'd put them up against just about anybody. And, and part of the reason is in the past, Notre Dame wouldn't put their starters on those teams. And they are, and it's paying dividends. Um, and I, I don't know if that's a Brian Polian. If I don't know if he went to Brian Kelly and said, "Look, if you want these teams to be elite, I got to have some elite guys on the teams." Uh, I don't know if that conversation was had or if Brian I, Kelly. We don't know, but I doubt know. that it would have happened if Brian Polian didn't at least have an yeah. opinion on it that was expressed. I mean, yeah. I do want to, I do want to give him credit for that. Yeah. I mean, he's got really good athletes to work with yes you know, you know and you look at that that 2018 linebacker class which which we've said is up until this uh, this current class was the best linebacker class Notre Dame had signed under Brian Kelly it was four guys deep and three of those guys were pretty good special teams players right Shane Simon Bo Bauer and Jack Lamb you look at some of the safeties and some of the corners that they've recruited and, and like you said they're putting more ones on that group right and so you know I, I think that's been a part of it I, I think that coverage is about having athletes number one sure i you know i've talked to you know some some coaches the division one and to say you know what makes the name special teams just they're like they're running 235 230 pound guys down the field they're running four fives what right. am i supposed to do with that like <laughs> I, I don't have any on my roster that can do that you know what i mean right. like and they got like four of them and you know i mean so you got dudes that and helps. then the other part of it is and this is where brian polling look brian brian polling doesn't get credit for having really athletic players what Brian Polian gets credit for is those coverage units are extremely disciplined and physical. There's an attitude about getting down there and blowing mm-hmm. things up. That is something he, in my opinion, deserves credit for. And I think the discipline piece too, because you could have great athletes, but if they're if they're losing their assignments, if they're not staying sure. in their lanes, you're going to give up a big big play, and they don't. They're very sound. the The lack of creativity and the lack of taking chances that hurts them in the return game makes them a really good coverage unit. My philosophy, though, is, Vince, is I don't think you have to sacrifice one for the other. I don't think you have to sacrifice creativity in the return game for for discipline in the other. I think you can do yeah. both. 
especially right. since a lot of the personnel in the return game is different. So I just think it's one of those things where they're just like, look, just don't make a mistake. It's the philosophy that hurts them on offense too, right? It's the same kind of mentality we, we complain about on offense, Vince, which is just don't screw up. Right. And to me, I get that to a degree, but at the same time, am I willing to take Chris Tyree getting pinned at the 12 every now and then because he tried to take one out for him busting a 95-yarder for exactly. a touchdown or a 100-yarder for a touchdown? Yeah, I'm willing to take that chance. Exactly. Yes. You know, especially when you have the kind of defense that Notre Dame has where, look, if you screw up, they can they can rescue you a little bit, you know. And, and so I'm not saying turn it over, but so that's – um. That's uh, you know that that's that's my thoughts on it and and you know would I want to see another special teams coordinator? I'm indifferent to that. I just yeah, I don't it, think it makes a difference. To, it, I, I mean, would it? That's not yeah. the missing link to be in the national champion. Right. I would me. like to see an upgrade there. Uh, I don't have a I don't have a strong opinion on Brian Poling staying or going. To be honest with you, I just it wouldn't move the needle I, for me. My issue is not so much Brian Polian. I don't think it's smart to have only a special teams coach on your staff that's and that doesn't have anything to do look i've said i've said this justin lustig the special teams coach at vanderbilt's a good friend of mine we used to coach together love him his dad his family i mean great people i would not want them to hire justin just to coach special teams now the good thing about justin is he can coach dbs he can coach running backs coach receiver you know he can coach a, a real position and coach it well i just think you lost an opportunity when you hired when you expanded the coaching staffs to 10, you lost an opportunity to hire a, a, a I don't say this. I was getting to say real coach. I don't mean that a, a position player coach. Sure. That I think you can have like a couple coaches, like let's just say hypothetically, Brian Polian got a head coaching job, which would be great for him. And, and, and I think is what he wants. You, you replace him. Let's say they replace him with Nick Lazinski. Okay which I think would be a great hire. So then Nick Lazinski becomes the, the linebackers coach. Then that would allow Marcus Freeman to just kind of be the D coordinator. Now he, or maybe Marcus could coach the insides and Nick sure. could coach the outsides or vice versa, but then it also allows him to, to freelance a little bit. And then you'd have like, let's say Nick Lazinski and, you know, like John McNulty or something like that, or Dell Alexander or something like that. We're like co-special teams coordinators. You know what I mean? Where you have a couple coaches like, Hey, you've got your position, but then it's up to you two to four guys that are assistants to put, get, you know, so, so, you know, Nick, you kind of oversee everything and then, you know, you know, in, in the coverage and then Dell, you kind of oversee everything in returns, but you know, McNulty's involved and and Nickens is involved and O'Leary's involved. And I, you I know, don't know. And, yeah, I don't know and, how and, you did it in college, but we that's we how did it, we did we, in high school. Yeah. We had a coordinator, but each coach was in charge of one special team. Like each coach had that. I, I think in college you don't need to do that. You can okay. have a guy that sort of oversees it, but you have guys that hey, you guys are doing the breakdowns. You guys are doing, and you can have the GAs help with that. So I mean, I'd like to see something like that where you have you know actually ten assistant coaches that are actually coaching a position, which would then give one more set of eyes to the defense. I, yeah. I don't think that'd be a bad thing. So I'd like to see something like that. Um, would, would to me would be better use of your of the ten assistant coaches, just in my opinion. opinion. And I don't think he's necessarily the the great recruiter that some people think he is. So I don't think it would be a hit there either. I think he's a good recruiter, but you know, I think some of the success that gave him that reputation was as much about Charlie Weiss as it was about Brian Polian. We got another super chat, Brian. Yes. Dave Colehouse. That's a big one. Thanks so much, Dave. I appreciate that very much. Thanks for all the awesome content. I appreciate the, the fact that you think it's awesome content. I appreciate yeah. that very much. And of we'll course I appreciate it. the super chat. Uh, awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Andrew Sakalowski says, first time commenter, long time fan. I'm getting married at five o'clock today. About to start getting ready. That is awesome. Shirt. I will be listening to that is awesome. live while I do. Andrew, Dude, congrats, man. Congratulations. Congrats. And he uh, said that he's the one that gave us our first super chat. So he said his wife has he's now converted his his wife. She's oh, now another okay. man. That was the one where it was like, if you can't handle me when I you know for Michigan 2019, <laughs> you don't deserve me for Clemson 2020. That so this that is a recent show. revelation, which is yes, great. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Okay, congratulations, Andrew, and good luck. Yes. Good, good luck. luck. Enjoy your day, man. It's gonna go by so fast. Yeah. Yeah. So well, fast. Well, well, and we'll try to keep you busy here for a little bit so you don't start thinking about it too much. That's right. <laughs> That's <laughs> about two hours for the wedding, I start getting like, wait, man, hold on. Is this really what I want to do? Well, and I, I'm and so I, glad and I don't that know I how it was for you, but like I was told I had to get ready, you know, by X time. And then we were just sitting around, just sitting yeah, around for the much. longest time because guys get ready yeah. in like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. It doesn't take that long. But yeah. Yep. Anyway. Yep. Same here. But congratulations, right. Andrew. Yes, that is fantastic. Thanks for listening. Wow, I like when you're busy, <laughs> clearly busy. Um, Sky Shark 425, do you think Coach Freeman was warned about or saw what was coming with LSU off the field issues? I think he already knew. I mean, that wasn't a that wasn't a secret in college football. I don't think that had a lot to do with it, to be honest with you. I, I think that if he felt he could go to LSU for a couple seasons, win, and be successful. That number one, he might be the guy that gets the head coaching job. Hey, look, I'm the new guy. I, I, I brought in discipline. I brought in this. You know who who knows? But I don't think it helped LSU. I don't just don't think it hurt him a ton either. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, let's see. Tommy Gunn's throwing his uh, good luck and congrats uh, to Andrew, which is great. Okay, JoJo says, uh, hey, guys, according to Coach K, trying to be dynamic, how is Nathaniel Joseph, 2023, the Edison, Florida receiver? He looks like Bradshaw that can fly and dynamic, but size might be an issue. Thoughts or opinions? Now he's short. He's like 5'10". I think, yeah, but look, so's Jalen Waddle, right? <laughs> I mean, I I think in today's game, when you have this is why I've advocated so much for diversity of skill set, Vince, because if you're going to play Notre Dame's offense from the last five years, it, it's hard to get a five ten guy involved. It just is, which is why they've struggled so much to get Lawrence Keys involved. That my response is then then change your offense because you just got blasted in the playoff by a kid who's five ten, or I mean a team that that 
and actually Jalen Wall didn't even play that game, but you got blasted by a guy who weighed 165 pounds and another guy that's six feet tall. And then that team went out and won a title with a kid who's 5'10", who could barely walk off the field because, you know, yeah, he was right. that dynamic. You got smashed twice by Amari Rogers, who's like 5'10 and a half, 5'11". Twice he smashed you. And so it's like, look, don't ask him to do what you asked Chase Claypool to do. Exactly. Right? Don't ask Chase Claypool what you'd ask Jalen Waddle to do. Develop an offense. I mean, with quick game, with screen game, with RPOs, with stretching the field, with getting him isolated on drags and crossers and things like that. There's plenty you can do to to put defenses in really bad spots with a fi- really fast five ten guy. Now, do I want a receiving core of nothing but five ten guys? No. Just like I don't want a receiving core of just six four guys. And I'm someone who tends to lean more towards having bigger receivers. But if you don't have diversity of skill set, then you're 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 going to struggle. And that doesn't mean diversity of skill set doesn't mean you need five ten guys. It just means you need dynamic players. And if a guy's five ten, that's fine. You it, you know if he's a if he's a dynamic athlete and he can run routes and he can catch the ball and he can be a legitimate playmaker, I don't care what size he is. Now, all things being equal, would I take a guy that's three four inches taller? Yeah, of, of course, of course. But you often don't find six two guys that run like some of these five ten kids, right? Uh, JoJo's got another one. He says, I know Coach D really likes A.J. Harris. I know it's too early to say, but how does he compare to Stingley Jr., a cornerback from LSU? I don't really look at it like that, JoJo. I don't I don't love making comps. I make them on here from time to time. I, I think there's some similarities. I think size being one, you know, they're both longer guys. I think A.J.'s bigger than Derek was at a similar age. I think Derek was a little bit more explosive athletically than A.J. was. Uh, both have very good cover skills. I mean, so there's some similarities, but – um, you know, AJ's a AJ's a special kid. I mean, he's six two. He's he scored ten touchdowns as a sophomore in high school events on offense. I mean, on defense and special teams. Not not offense, defense, and special teams. Defense yeah. and special teams. <laughs> gotcha. Um, he's a he's a special. He's like as I've said, he's the best corner in the country, regardless of um, regardless of of uh, class. Gotcha. DJ Wilson, Friday, Cincinnati played in a conference without a lot of offensive diversity. With Notre Dame's diverse schedule, isn't it possible a team could be problematic for Coach Freeman's scheme? Yeah, I don't really agree with that, the premise of that, to be completely honest with you. I think that Cincinnati played in a conference that had a lot of uh, high-octane offenses, but I don't. I wouldn't say that they. There's not a lot of scheme diversity. There's spread teams in that conference. There's air raid teams in that conference. I mean, you go back and and you look at what UCF does, and you compare it to what you know uh, Memphis does, and and there's there's not there's not a ton of similarities there. Plus, they played Army last year. Uh, Cincinnati did triple option team. They've played Navy in the past. Triple option team. Uh, East Carolina's offense is a little bit different than those uh, those others. So I. I I wouldn't. Ag- I wouldn't agree, and I think Tulsa Tulsa runs um, sort of a hybrid of what they used to do at Baylor. You know, Philip Montgomery used to be Art Browse coordinator, but they were they were a little bit more ball control last year than they've been. So I I wouldn't say that there's a lack of diversity in that schedule. To be completely honest with you, to your point, however, I always think there's a certain type of offense that can give people problems. I mean, you you can go through the history of of NFL college football. It's like Mike Shanahan just gave Bill Belichick. I mean, you look how great Bill Belichick was. Mike Shanahan used to eat him up. I mean, just for whatever reason, Mike Shanahan, just Bill Belichick couldn't figure Mike Shanahan out. That's always going to happen from time to time. 
I don't think it's more such a, really a scheme issue. But again, that's also partly why Coach Freeman is going to be much more versatile. Look, we talk about the diversity he's going to do. That's not necessarily what he did all the time at Cincinnati. They were predominantly a 3-3-5 team. They would show, but then they come out against Georgia and they go 4-3. Like, you know, and then and then 4-2-5. And then there was a little bit. I mean, that was a game where we saw a little bit more diversity to try to match up with Georgia's different personnel. When Georgia went two tight ends, Cincinnati immediately uh, – uh, subbed in four three personnel. I mean, so he showed that we can we can match that in games. So I I don't think it's necessarily a scheme. I don't think there's an offense or deep offense that necessarily in nature would give him schemes. I think sometimes, and it's going to happen. There's going to be an offensive coach that just has his number. It's going to happen. You know, it, sure. It, like Hugh Freeze did to, to Nick Saban. I mean, beat him twice, and then there was another year that I think they had a big lead and blew a lead. That it just it just happened. Does anyone want to think that Hugh Freeze is a better coach than Nick Saban? No, it's just sometimes you just you just you just kind of get that. And so I, I don't I wouldn't say that there's a scheme that that could a team that could be problematic in and of itself because of a certain scheme. I think it'd be more about hey, they have really good playmakers in an areas where we don't necessarily have great playmakers. That could be problematic, but that's true for anybody. JoJo has a great football 101 question here, Brian. He says, what's the difference between field and boundary corners and which one is harder to recruit? I don't think either is necessarily harder to recruit uh, in, in Notre Dame's defense. I think that we're seeing, I would say maybe 10 years ago, I'd say the boundary corner is a little harder to recruit. The, 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 the long, tall, you know, really good one-on-one player, because 10 years ago, most of those guys are playing receiver or safety. You know, so I think that that it's a little easier to recruit that now. And Notre Dame has not had any issue in the last two years of finding tall, long cornerbacks that can cover man to man. So the boundary corner is is it doesn't have to be a bigger guy, but a bigger guy usually t- tends to work there because it's a one on one position. I mean, you ideally want to have your linebacker not having to worry about it. You don't want your safety worrying about it as much. You want your safety worrying about number two to middle of the field. You know, protecting against drags and crossers and, and posts and things like that, and then being able to play the alleys. You want to be able to go one-on-one in the boundary as much as possible. It's a condensed field, so you don't have as much room to cover from a you know left-to-right standpoint, but you're going to have to defend the vertical route. You tend to get matched up against bigger receivers. A lot of times teams will put their best receiver into the boundary. Not always, but a lot of times. Whereas to the field, the you know you don't necessarily need a guy that, that's going to cover one-on-one all the time, or at least a guy that's not going to play press man all the time, although he can. To the field, you have to play with a little bit more range. There's more ground to cover. You have to you have to be a little better uh, against coming up and playing the screen game. Whereas in the boundary, you got to be more of a run defender. You know, coming up quick to be a run defender because you're going to see more perimeter screens. You're going to see a lot more as a field uh, cornerback. Uh, you're going to see a lot more of sort of switches. You know, so a lot more communication. They're going to throw like high lows at you, diamond concepts at you, you, you know, mesh concepts at you. You've got to have real good communication, whereas a boundary is a lot of times you just kind of you go cover that guy. So it's a little different. I would actually argue in Notre Dame's defense, the field cornerback is a, a top level field cornerback has probably been a little bit harder to find just because that guy has to be a really athletic guy to play at an elite level. If you're just going to go play cover one to the field, you got to be an elite cover guy. I mean, you, you're, they're going to like, you know, for example, Clarence Lewis, good player. They're going to, they're going to have to protect him a little bit. You're just not going to say, Hey, against USC, go play cover one with no safety help all game. You're you're just probably not going to see that, but to the boundary, you'll, you'll see that more often. Hopefully that answers your question. 
Vince, you have anything to add to that? No, I thought that was great. And like I said, I think from a, just from an alignment standpoint, that might be fun to do from like a, a football 101 or whatever. Uh, and there's, you know, physical attributes that are different sometimes and, and things that they're asked to do. But I think you covered it really, really well. Um, BRB KRKR1. Kelly's fatal flaw has been hiring friends rather than best available. And then he follows it up with Kelly is finally willing to do what is necessary to win and not reflex to hiring his buddies. I mean, technically that's true. That's just not how I would have said it. I think Brian Kelly, like a lot of coaches, wants to be surrounded by people he can trust. And if I know, if I've coached with a guy before, I've known a guy for X amount of years, I'm going to trust him. It's going to work. And for all the talk about some of his buddies that have failed, Brian Van Gorder being the number one, I'm not in love with the Jeff Quinn hire. Some of his buddies were great hires. Mike Dembrock was a great hire. Mike Dembrock recruited well and and did it. I mean, Mike Dembrock oversaw the most explosive offense in Notre Dame history in 2015. Did a great job. Recruited at a very good level. Chuck Martin. Mike, Mike Chuck Martin did a great job as a defensive coach and an offensive coordinator. And he tried to get Chuck Martin from the time that he got here until yeah. he finally came over. It was I remember right. that being a thing. Like, oh, you're going to get Chuck Martin? Or are you going to get – and he stayed mm-hmm. uh, for a little while longer until he came over. Yeah. And then uh, Mike Elson is another one, right? Friend of his. Uh, Mike Mickens was one of his players at Cincinnati. That's right. right? So he played. Yeah. So that's another connection. That's been a great hire. A great hire. So I, I just, I mean, I, I get what people are saying, and, and again, I think at times Coach Kelly has made the mistake of I think he's too loyal to some of his assistants, whether that's loyalty or he just kind of on offense, especially likes having people that are just going to do what he tells them to do. I think that's a concern that I have. But at the same time, he's you know he's he's also. He's all some of those guys have been really good hires. I would like to say, I think his his biggest flaw has been being too late to recognize when he has made a mistake. Yeah, I think that's yes. the bigger issue. I don't think it's I don't think it's hiring your friends because I mean Bob Diaco had been with him for several years. Diaco was with him at Central Michigan, Diaco was with him at Cincinnati, and Bob Diaco turned a remember how bad Notre Dame was on defense, Charlie's last three years. In Bob Diaco's first three seasons, immediately Notre Dame was a top 25 defense every year. Mm-hmm. Every year. And then, of course, had a top five defense in 2012. That was a great hire in my. He was needed at that time. They needed structure. They needed discipline. They needed toughness, and it was the right guy at the right time. And then Brian Kelly made the the, the proper decision to go to more a more athletic defense. He just hired the wrong guy to do it. You know, and if you if it was all about hiring his buddies, then he wouldn't have hired Mike Elston or Mike Marcus Freeman. He would have probably promoted Mike Elston, defensive coordinator. So I, I don't I don't think that's necessarily been the issue. I think the, the the problem has been that he has he should have recognized after year one that Brian Van Gorder was a failure mm-hmm. because beginning with the North Carolina game it was obvious. And, and Vince, you remember I was calling it out the first three four games, and I'm like, they're playing bad offenses, they're playing pro style offenses. When they start playing these spread teams, they're going to get torched. And you remember North Carolina just went up and down the field, scored 43 points on them. I mean, Jimbo Fisher coached circles around Brian Van Gordon in the second half of that Florida State game. It was embarrassing. And then, of course, faded down the stretch. He should have known it then, and he didn't react to it. And then, again, he should have known it after 2015. When you're giving up 25 points a game with the NFL talents that 2015 defense had, it should have been obvious then. And, you know, he just he was the only one to, to see it and fix it. And that's – that. you know, Autry Denson. Autry Denson wasn't a friend of his, but that was a mistake. 
keeping him for four seasons the way yeah, he did absolutely was a yeah. mistake. Right. And, and so that to me has been the bigger problem, you know, not recognizing things quicker and fixing them in me. Like, so or every coach makes bad hires, you know, urban Meyer hired Everett <laughs> Withers to be his yeah. defensive coordinator at, at Ohio state. That was a disaster, but he fired him after what one year, two years. Right. I'm trying to remember how long Everett Withers was there. I think it was only only one year, and then he he he, he didn't fire him per se, right? Ohio State fans thought he was there two years and got rid of him. Ohio State fans like, and and they went twenty four and two, and at one point in time won twenty four straight games with Everett Withers as their defensive coordinator, and then they lost their last two games, and he and he and he, he uh, didn't get fired. He 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 left for a head coaching opportunity at James Madison. Right. No defensive coordinator at Ohio State leaves Ohio State willingly to take over an FCS program. Can we all admit that? But you know that's what he's done. He he made Tim Beck and Ned Warner co coordinators, and and that was a big mistake. But he quickly rectified it and made the changes that he needed to make. Brought in Tom Herman, brought in Chris Ash, and they won won a national title. So every coach makes the great uh, Nick Saban putting Tosh as his defensive coordinator was a horrible hire. And, but he it was like quickly over, you know, made up for it. And, and so every coach makes bad hires. It's just Coach Kelly's flaw has been he just is too late to to fix them. And that's been the issue. John A1 has a question or a super chat, Vince. Yeah, I see that. Up. Hit it. He says, uh, what changes does Reese need to make to improve the quarterback development at Notre Dame? Is it a complex process or is it as simple as less scheme, more fundamentals? I think it's a couple things. I think part of it is less scheme, more fundamentals. I think another thing that Coach Reese needs to do, and I don't know if this is possible, is he needs to tell Coach Kelly, Coach, we got this. <laughs> right. right. Right? Like, it, yes, you were involved with the quarterbacks when you were at Cincinnati and, and when I was here because you were involved in the offense. You were there day-to-day. -day, you were putting the game plans together. Like, you're not there now, right? You want to talk some big-picture stuff, but, like, let us handle it first. You know, make sure that we've communicated. There needs to be fewer voices in the heads of the quarterbacks. Absolutely. Number two, I do think there needs to be a simplification of the system. Doesn't mean you have four plays. Doesn't mean you do what Art Bryles did, where you line one guy up on the side of a field and you have four routes. I'm not saying that. But there needs to be a happy medium between what Notre Dame has done and what some of those teams are doing. There's a reason teams that are winning are 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 winning with let they're they're getting simple more simple while Notre Dame is getting more complex. I, I think that's another thing. And the other thing too is I think Coach Reese needs to be a little bit more of a calming practice presence and practice i've had several conversations that he's got a little bit too much of that fire in him especially when going after quarterbacks and i don't think that's good when when you're just gonna rip a player and slam stuff down or, i mean a quarterback right it's not gonna steal a lot of confidence in him it's gonna make him afraid to make a mistake uh because i don't want to get shown up in front of the entire team like that again and it's gonna hurt the confidence i'm a big believer in the bill walsh philosophy of you don't show your quarterback up in front of the team just don't and and yes i know that that means quarterback's different but yeah quarterback is different than everybody else right so uh, that's the thing I, so again that's part of just being young and being fiery and being intense and passionate it's not a fault it's just i think that was also an issue that chip long had just like look man sometimes it's just calm the heck down right you know what i mean like right it's, it not every session has to be a butt chewing session right and, and i'd like to see that become you know where you look at how the defensive coaches coach, 
they're intense. They're high. They set a high standard, but you just don't see them kirking out and losing their minds at players like you see on offense. And this is not just something we see with our eyes, but this is something that I hear from source after source. Yeah. And that's why you see guys on defense playing a lot more loose, in my opinion. All right. Adam Grad, I believe, is referring to the article that you put out on IrishBreakdown.com today. It says, Brian Kelly realized he needed to change at Grand Valley to win a championship. Why did it take him the same number of years at Notre Dame to realize he has to make the same changes? Because of success. I mean, look, there, it's easy for a coach, Vince, you and I both know this. It's, it's easy for a coach when he's having success to be able to say, hey, look, um, you know, we're doing a good job. We're really close. Right. You know, he went nine and two his first year, went to the college football play or went to the NCAA playoffs, the division two playoffs. You know, had several eight, nine, win seasons. They were close. And it can to, it, it, uh, the, the go to then is when you're when you are good. It's one of those things where you say, hey, look, you know what? We why are, you're not going to overhaul your system when you're winning eight, nine games every year. And again, back then they were playing let 10, yeah. 12 games. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't like they're doing all that. But uh, but the thing about Grand Valley is. They were always kind of close, Vince. And you know, when you're close, yes, it's hard exactly. to just overhaul your program when you're eight and three or nine and three. The reason it happened at, at, at Grand Valley is not because they were close, but because they went 12 and nine. They were going down. And he realized, like, look, we've reached our peak and now we're descending. We can't just say, coach a little harder, play a little better. And if you look at the one time Brian Kelly completely overhauled his program at Notre Dame, it was after they went four and eight. Right. It is hard for a coach, and I'm I'm sticking up for him here because I've been there. It's hard for a coach who you put a plan in place, the plan's working to a degree, and then you say, okay, we're going to completely overhaul it, right, to do this. I, that's that because if it doesn't work, you're done. You know what I mean? You can't overhaul it. It looks like you panicked. It can be Absolutely. very hard to do that. Sure. A lot of times it takes failure to make those changes. And and failure can be going twelve and nine in a two years period. It can it, you know failure can be you know uh, going four and eight twenty sixteen. But failure in this instance, I'm hoping, is Brian Kelly sick of losing to Clemson and Alabama, like he said. That's another form of failure. Failure when your standard is this and you're getting here and you're just tired of not getting over that hump. That can be a form of failure that that can get you to 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 say we got to make a change. And so my hope is that. By doing that, by losing those games late in the year, Brian Kelly says, you know what? I'm sick of losing these games, so we're going to need to do what we got to do. And what he did at Grand Valley, and there, I put a New York Times article in that article. So I'll, I'll give some numbers to this, right? So oh, I'm going to pull this yes. up, Vince, because I love your numbers. it was you really fascinating. I love doing research, but it was yeah. really fascinating doing this research and looking at Brian Kelly's tenure because a lot of times when we look at Brian Kelly's tenure at Grand Valley, we tend to focus on just the absurd – absurd final three seasons but i'm going to share some numbers from brian kelly's first 10 years at grand valley it really was fascinating vince to to see some of these so um so here it is can you take that question down for me vince oh, so we absolutely. can kind of, it's okay sorry uh, about that no 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 you're good there you go so i'm going to show this so if you look at it here brian kelly took over in 1991 from 1991 mm -hmm. to 2000 they went 65 and 24 respectable had a bunch of two and three lost seasons, but they went 0-3 in the playoffs, right? See that there? And they lost two of those three playoff losses were by at least 21 points. Sound familiar? <laughs> right. Um, and if you look at his 10 years at Grand Valley, this is their points per game, 29.8 points per game. 
Less is all low. that they is all that they averaged, right? And then you go down here to some of his numbers, right? So if you look at years one through 10, 77 and, and the 65 and, and 65 and 20, where was it? 65 and 20, um, 24 was during his first eight years. Then they went through that 12 and nine situa situation, which included a five and five year and seven, four year. But, you know, 77, 33 and two with a 692 win percentage and three playoff appearances in 10 years isn't terrible. But he wasn't happy with that, right? Right. And then they made a change. And then the article that I linked in there said that they spent that offseason studying Northwestern and and um, uh, Oklahoma State. And I think at the okay. time, if I remember correctly, I think that was Randy Walker at Northwestern. I'm going to have to look that up. But, but remember, Randy Walker is the coach who passed away, uh, right. uh, who was the head coach at Northwestern. Yeah, I'm correct. He was at Northwestern from 99 to – to 2000 he had had some success at Miami remember they went 10 and 1 at Miami uh, in Northwestern was was really building he had just gone 8 and 4 uh his his um that year in 2000 you know so Brian Kelly's last year at, uh, at of the struggle before he made a change uh Northwestern went out that year and scored 35 points 38 points in a win 47 in a road win over Wisconsin 37 in a road win over Michigan State 52 in a win over Indiana 41 in a road win over Minnesota, 54 in a row in a win over Michigan, and 61 in a win over Illinois. So, you know, Northwestern had gone eight wins. Well, back then, that was an amazing tenure because Northwestern was not good. And so when, when you look at that success and you say, okay, Northwestern was – and that was when the spread was just kind of getting started. So he, then he went with Oklahoma State. I was going to say, wasn't that, Oklahoma State throwing it all over the place back then? I mean, they were one of the first teams to do that, weren't they? Yeah. Or am I mistaken on that? Um. I'm trying to remember. I don't. I, I'm trying to think. That I didn't watch a lot of Oklahoma State, but I'm just. Yeah, I think that was so. Mike Gundy. That was right before the Mike Gundy tenure. Okay. Uh, at Oklahoma State, and I'm trying to remember who the offensive coordinator was in 2000. I'm actually trying to pull that up now. That was a little bit before the Mike Gundy uh, tenure, but um, uh, it was last year of Bob Simmons. So, and maybe he meant Oklahoma. Maybe the article got it wrong because I know Oklahoma was running a spread back then. Okay. Uh, but that was the last year of the Bob Simmons tenure. So I don't know if Oklahoma State was the team or not, but that was right before Mike Gundy. But maybe it was Mike Gundy had gotten hired and he went and spent some time with Mike Gundy because Mike Gundy, uh, you know, obviously was 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 taken over there. So, you know, so anyway, he he goes there, he has success. And uh, I mean, he he makes those changes and they went to a spread offense. You look at the changes, Vince, and the numbers are, I mean, the numbers are right there. It's just, it's absolutely insane. Right. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts what they did. They went from that and 12 and nine in the two into the previous two years to over the next three years after completely overhauling the offensive system. They went 41 and two. Had a 953 win percentage and averaged 44 and a half points per game. What's even more amazing is they were even better in the postseason. They were 11 and one in the postseason. They had a, uh, I mean, which is just insane, a 49.8 points per game in the postseason, which is also insane. And their only loss was in the national championship game in 2001, and they lost by a touchdown to North Dakota. They didn't have their quarterback. Their quarterback got hurt in like the first round. So, so I mean, that was probably their best team. The 2000 team was pro or 2001 team was probably their best team. Their 2002 team was their second best team. And then the second title team was probably the third best team of that era. And those numbers are just absolutely absurd to have that kind of change. Vince in such a short period of time was, 
was real was really just you just don't see that kind of overhaul. But it yeah, was because exactly. he got sick of losing. They had a, a big program. So again, that's that's the thing that did it is they had a big drop off, big drop off. Uh, so you, you go 12 and nine and years nine and 10, that's going to be the thing to wake you up is it, it's easier to do that than it is to when you've had two playoff appearances in three years to make those changes in, in his defense. But the reality is if he wants to win, he has to realize it's not just about do a little bit here, little tweaks there. You're not anywhere close offensively to where you need to be. Yes. And, and so they've made the changes on defense. They're making the recruiting changes. If they can make the offensive changes again, this is what I say. And it's not just Brian Kelly. We've seen this happen before. You know, we, we've seen this happen in the past with Texas. You remember Texas uh, early on in Mac Brown's tenure when they just kept getting killed by Oklahoma? They just could not beat Oklahoma. And, you know, it didn't matter what they did. They just, they could not beat, they could not beat Oklahoma. And I'm trying to find my old stats page from back then. But, you know, their, their offense was just kind of, they ran a pro style offense, had a fullback, a tight end, two receivers. You know they had Chris Sims a quarterback. I mean they were they were a pretty good team, but it just it didn't matter. They were they were just they just couldn't win the big game. Right, we're going nine and three every year, and so what they did was is they said we got to change. It was like year seven, I think, is when six or seven when they made the change. So I mean it was deep in, but same coordinator, Greg Davis was still the coordinator. They went from that pro style offense to they went to the spread, and then you know obviously it was building around Vince Young. Well, in year one, they went and sure. run the, won the Rose Bowl, beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. The next year, they went out and won a national title, and it began a stretch where Mac Brown basically became a Hall of Famer. You know, Mac Brown, you know, again, his tenure in North Carolina the first time was really good. His tenure early on at Texas was pretty good. You know, again, nine and three, nine and five, nine and three, 11 and two, 11 and two, 10 and three. That's good. But at Texas, it's about winning championships. And so they made the change the next year, went 11 and one. Finished number four in the polls. Their only loss was was twelve to nothing against Oklahoma that year, and then the next year they go out and go undefeated and have one of the, the greatest teams in, in a very very long time with an offense that was just absurd. This this is the number of points they scored that year: 60, 51, 51, 45, 42, 52, 47, 62, 66, 40, 70, and then they scored forty one against USC in the title game. Oh, by the way, that seventy that they scored was in the Big Twelve title game. So not against, well, you know, it wasn't against Eastern, like Louisiana Southern, Lafayette. It was yeah, against right. Colorado in the Big 12 title. Right. So it just was one of those things where that off. Now, again, they had a great trigger man, right? That's a big part of it. And then sure. the next two years after he left, they went 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 12 and 1, 13 and 1. And I have contended and I will contend that if if Cole, if um, I'm, I'm I was going to say Cole, <laughs> don't say Cole McCoy, Colt McCoy. If, if Colt <laughs> McCoy, I was going to call him Cade, I get him and Cade McNown. Kate Colt oh. McCoy and Cade McNown. I get those two guys, their names confused. Oh, but if you go, if you go look at Colt McCoy, they were winning six to nothing when he got hurt. They were moving the ball on Alabama. They had two, uh, two field goal drives. They're moving the ball on Alabama. And I still believe if he doesn't get hurt, I think they beat Alabama that year and win a second title. But it was all because he said, this isn't good enough. I want to win a title and you got to make that move. And so we've seen it done. We've seen Brian Kelly do it. And that's one of the reasons I have optimism in the fact that Brian Kelly did do it later. We could argue all day about why he did or didn't do it. I just hope he does it. I don't really care how long it took. And honestly, I kind of think now's even a better time to do it because so many other parts of the program are healthier now. 
You know, if he'd have tried this back in 04, would you have had the facilities to really recruit at the elite level? Like some of the things that were genuine issues on the recruiting trail aren't there anymore. Facilities were way behind, you know, I mean, things like that. And that, that's all gone now. And, and so I, I see it as a situation where it's really the perfect time because you, you there's no academic restrictions like people say. The facilities are as good as just about anybody in the country. You've got You've had proven success. You're you're at that. You're you're close. Now, all of a sudden, you make that big schematic change over the next two three years. You've got all this talent, and teams are trying to figure you out. You know, so so sometimes it, the timing of it can be can be an ideal situation. And the article also made clear that that also mm-hmm. that change also happened when you had a recruiting class come in with Kurt Ains, with David Kirkus, with some all time great players. That's part of it too. Absolutely. If Kurt Ains isn't your quarterback, you're not scoring 58 points a game in, in the regular seat. The year that they lost the national title events, again, Kurt Ains got hurt in the first round of the playoffs. They were averaging 58 points a game before he got hurt. Man. People would they know had like to do with five themselves. straight games for over 60 points. Jeez. You know, and, and, uh, I mean, that's a, that's absurd success. And, you know, and, and it was quick. It was like that. And and yeah. so we, it can chat happen quick. Look at LSU. LSU's offensive that's numbers true. in 2018 were worse than what Notre Dame's offensive numbers were last year. Fewer points, fewer yards, fewer yards per play. And then in one year with the same players, they went from that to one of the greatest offenses in the history of college football. Same right. guys. They made one change from a coaching standpoint, and it was a philosophical change, and all of a sudden they won a title. So if you know, and again, Notre Dame doesn't have Joe Burrow, they don't have Jamar Chase, but they also don't need to score 50 points a game. Right. Right. With this defense, if you're scoring 40 a game, you're gonna be hard to beat. Because here's the deal: based on their two playoff games so far, if Notre Dame scores 40, they got a shot to win both of them. Mm-hmm. One of them they probably win by double figures, because I don't think Clemson scores four, 30 points on Notre Dame. If Notre Dame's if Notre Dame's offense had matched Clemson score for score, they'd have won by at least ten points once Julian Love came back, because Clemson could not move the ball on Notre Dame. And remember, their first score of that game was a field goal off of a top off of an Ian Book fumble that gave them the ball in Notre Dame territory, and all they could get out of it was a field goal. So when when Notre Dame brought Julian Love back in, it was basically twenty three to three at that point in time. Yeah, exactly. It was too late. They had that one long touchdown run by ETN. That's because Notre Dame was trying to load the box and come up with a stop. Because they were trying to they do something because back. they were trying to get the ball back. Exactly. They wouldn't they have had been turnover. in that position. If the, if right. the offense had matched them point for point, the defense would have kept dominating. And I think Notre Dame would have won that game convincingly if the offense had stepped up. Uh, and, and this year, I still think Alabama probably would have won if the Notre Dame offense was doing everything that I think they needed to do because Alabama, I think, just had better players this year. I, I just think they did. But I think it would have been a far more competitive game. And then maybe in the fourth quarter, you could have forced Mac Jones into a mistake or something like that. That's And you and I said that at the, before the game. They're going to need to, they're gonna need a break to go their way to win this one. Sure. Right? But you have to at least be in the game when that break happens. And that was the problem is Alabama wasn't going to make a mistake. Once they went up 21-7, to 7, it was like they're not going to make a mistake because they're not going to do anything to put them exactly. – because they knew Notre Dame could not score on them. Right. That's exactly what Clemson is. So you can't, they can't score on us. So why, why would we do something that could potentially turn them? Say, well, you know, why didn't they throw the ball downfield? They didn't need to. Once they went up 21 to seven, there was no need to do anything that could potentially force a turnover because you knew Notre Dame could not score on you. And you just knew it. And the only way Notre Dame could score was to go on a 15 play drive, which they did that one time. 
But if they're going to do that, they don't have enough time in the game to get three three more scores right. in the second half. So we got another super chat, Vince, from GS. Uh, it says, great show. Been listening to you guys for uh, since the BGI days. Nice. Uh, my question, do you guys think Xavier Watts could be used in the return game? And do you see similarities between him and Golden Tate? Okay, so uh, could he be used? I wouldn't mind seeing him used in the me return either. game. Uh, no, me neither. Comparing him to Golden Tate, so... That's a big... <laughs> well, so so let's take away comparing him to a guy like I'm not expecting him as a sophomore to have 50 plus catches for a thousand yards. Let's just talk about skill set. I think he's very similar to Golden Tate from a skill set standpoint because he plays a little bigger than his size, you know, because he's got great leaping ability. He's strong. He's physical, even though he's not a real big guy. Golden was built more like a running back. I mean, he, he just was where yeah. Xavier's more built like a receiver or a safety. But as far as being a dynamic after the catch guy, you know, being being more quick than fast, you know, maybe not having a great forty time, but being a dynamic player, uh, being great with the ball in his hands, being strong. I mean, once Xavier gets the ball in his hands, he's a pretty strong kid. I do think there's a lot of similar. I think this is a really good observation. Again, not saying he's going to be the dynamic player Golden Tate was, but just from a athleticism and skill set standpoint, yeah, I think there's definitely some similarities between the two. There was another super chat down there too, uh, Brian. I don't know if you see it. I do for Maddie K. Nice, Maddie. Thank you. It says thanks, IB, for all the great content. Appreciate everything you guys do. How excited are you guys to see the non-early enrollees, especially Jay Thomas? Um, I mean, Jaden Thomas. I, I I don't know if I'm excited to see him. I, mean, I don't know. I really don't know what to expect from him. He was banged up most of his senior year. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player. I think there's some other guys that I would have ahead of him as far as who I'm excited to see. Sure, yeah. Kerry G, uh, I think I'm pretty excited yeah, to see. Yeah, I mean, just um, – Yeah, but, I mean, if, if Jade can head. step up and make plays, that's great. I think he's a good football sure. player. I gave him a four-star grade. I don't think he's as good as the other two receivers, but he's a good football player. You know, he right. just was banged up a lot. He had, a, uh, I think it was an ankle injury. He suffered very early in the season – or no, it was a foot injury. And he just was not the same guy that he was as a junior. So maybe he's healthy and you know he's a, he's a really good baseball player too. So that was part of the reason he picked Notre Dame was because he's a he's also sure. a baseball player. But yeah, I mean I'm always I always look forward to seeing it because honestly, the reason is Maddie is not specifically for one player, whether it's Jaden Thomas or Kerry G or Jason Onye or anybody, you know, Audric Estime, Logan Diggs. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are just showing up. It's more about this is our first chance to actually see this team as the entire team because there were guys not in the spring that you know Jarrett Patterson was out Kyle Hamilton was out you didn't have the early, the first the early that yeah they're in early enrollees but it was only like half the class now you get all those other guys showing up this is our first chance to see this whole team and yeah. I always look forward to that always look forward to that okay we've got uh Coleman uh by the way Brian I when I got kicked out and then mm -hmm. back in I got pushed down to 110. I don't know if you have anything prior to that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I was at about the – I think I was about at the 1250 area. There was a question in there about O-line that I wanted to get to. I don't know if you see it. It's a longer one. Um, I don't remember who who asked it. Uh, it was – what was it? Yeah, I got it was one Kyron Williams and offensive line. and Yeah, anyway. here, here's one that's kind of interesting. I'll, I'm going to okay. answer Vince. And I normally don't answer questions like this, but I think it was asked in a way – uh, that I don't mind answering it. So Fighting Hours 85 said, there are lots of different recruiting experts, Loy, Priester, etc. Do you all share insights or keep it for your subscribers? Uh, who do you think has the best pulse on recruits about to pop? I, I think I have pretty good 
pulse on that. And I think Tom has a pretty good pulse on that. I, Priester doesn't do recruiting the way that Tom does and the way that, that I kind of do and used to. He leaves Priester that up does, to some of the other guys. Well, he, what Tim, Tim's involvement in recruiting is more of just analyzing it, right? Yes, like, so here's correct. the film rooms and, and right. uh, just kind of big picture. That's what Tim does. Uh, yep. Tim and I will talk at times. We share ideas. Tom and I talk, uh, it, you know, not so much like, you know, there's been times where I say, Hey, you know, just, Hey, just so you know, Hey, here's what I'm hearing. Just so you know. And then, you know, he may share some things with me just cause I, there's a, there's a, a friendship there, a mutual respect there. So, um, but as far as keeping it for your subscribers, uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think you have to be careful because when you, when you, you know, there's times when, when Tom has told me some things where I couldn't say anything publicly because my only person that told me that was Tom. And so, you know, I hadn't gained that information for my own, but then once I do, I can say, okay, well, I've talked to this person and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, a lot of times Tom will say something to me, I'll say something to him and we both already knew it, right. We had already, we'd already found it out. So I, I think, you know, as far as just the day-to-day -day recruiting, because of where we are as a, as a company, we're just not where we can hire full-time guys. If you right. want to, if you want to know who I think I, I do a pretty good job of talking to sources and getting information, but I would say Thomas probably is to me is the best on the, in the market when it comes to just the daily updates, who's visiting, who's doing this, who's doing that. I think Tom does the best job. And, and uh, you know, I think as far as the pulse on who's about to pop though, I think, I think I got a pretty good pretty good record on that one i would agree um but but yeah that's who who it is but you know but the thing is that we kind of i have to kind of do a little bit of both tim what tim does and what tom does but we're definitely trying to the reason i wanted to answer this too is because this is our next this is our, our next, next step yeah thing for irish breakdown is to be able to hire people we have joe de leon who just started with us he's done a good job he has an article today we just put up from irish breakdown where he talked to uh hero canoes um uh trainer in in europe Brandon Collier talked about that. He said, look, he's going to have a top six coming out soon. I don't know who all is going to be in it, but I know one team is going to be in it and it's going to be Notre Dame. <laughs> so, uh, good but, um, but I want to say this too, because, you know, look, I want everyone to subscribe to Irish breakdown and to read our boards, but I'm also someone who believes that I don't, I'm not a big fan of people who only get their news and information from one source. I think that people should always have their opinions and their 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 views expanded. I've always felt that there's a, a need, there's a there's a, a not a need. There is room in this market for people to like multiple sites. And what bothers me is when you have people say, Well, I'm a I'm an Irish breakdown person, so screw those guys at Irish Illustrated. No, no, read that too, right? Or I like Irish Illustrated. Driscoll sucks. Oh, I may suck, but I have an opinion that's comes from experience and you should probably read it, whether you like it or not. You know, and then you have people, I only read positive stuff or I only read negative stuff. You should consume it all. And I think the best way to be a knowledgeable fan is to consume as much information as possible and, and not just from people that agree with you. I wish people did that with politics. I did wish people did that with culture. I wish people did that more with economics or history or or religion or whatever topic is, you know, be a consumer of information. And, and I think there's some people on this beat that I respect a great deal that I would say, you know, pay attention to them. If you want to know the day-to-day, -day, the minutia of recruiting and who's visiting for the barbecue and all that stuff, Tom Lloyd's going to be your guy. If you want analysis on who the best recruits are and how they fit and all this other kind of stuff and, you know, the 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 idea of who who's really, I think, going to pop and, and knowing that you're not going to get – I don't have a network that's forcing me to do certain things that I would rather not do to – you know, crystal balls kind of thing. I think that's where you come to Irish breakdown. 
but why can't you read both? You know, and so that's kind of the way I look at it. So I don't normally answer those kind of questions, Vince, but you know, there's some people on this beat that I have a lot of respect. Right. And there's some people I don't necessarily get along with very well, but there's a, there's a lot of people I get, I do get along with well and respect and, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I just ran into Tim O'Malley this morning. I was driving to get breakfast and he was walking and, you know, I loved him, pulled over, talked to him. He's a great guy. I think he does good things. He writes stuff differently than I do. I think there's value for reading both. There's value for reading Tim Priester and me when Lou was around. I mean, if you weren't reading Lou's historical columns, you were hurting yourself. You were missing yeah, out, no you know, doubt. no doubt. And I just, that's how I've always felt. And I wish, I wish there's more people like that. I wish our beat wasn't so Territorial. Like one thing I said on our board, we won't be doing that TOS stuff. Oh, the TOS says, like, because it stands for the other site. Hey, if Tom Loy has info, give Tom Loy the credit for it. If Tim Priester has an opinion on something that you that you like and you want to talk about on our board, give him credit for it. And if people go to their site to read that particular article, good, fine, whatever. I hate how that is. I hate that you know people from other sites can't come on our podcast or we can't go on their podcast. I think it's really sad. And I think it hurts the Notre Dame fan base. When Tim did that one podcast with me, that was one of our most listened to podcasts. And it was great. It was two people that I think are very well respected that come from different backgrounds, have Absolutely. different opinions. And I think it was great content. And I think it hurts Notre Dame fans that were also just like, I think territorial is the one that you said. This is a big market and these people love Notre Dame and, and, you know, trying to hog them all into your little world to me right. is depriving them. It's not helping you. And I think that, you know, most people that are Notre Dame fans are going to subscribe to multiple sites anyway. So that's my, that's my two cents on that. And I've, I've been asked that a lot privately. And so when that hmm. question was asked, I wanted to, I wanted to answer it. I wish, Look, I, I wish we had more. We tried to do that yeah. Irish crossover thing. Absolutely. We couldn't get anybody to come on other than the radio guys because, right. you know, rivals won't let us. Well, it's because or, their bosses won't let. Right. Like, like we were going to have Lou on and Stu Coleman wouldn't let him come on. Yeah, exactly. You know, like uh, Tim came on and then it was kind of like, well, we can't do that anymore. You know what I mean? Right. But I, I would love to do that. But and that's not I'm not blaming them. They have they have people they have to answer to. They have to answer sure. to 24 seven. We don't. I mean, right. we are affiliated with SI from the standpoint of like, you know, there's some crossover, but like. SI doesn't tell me what to do or who I can or can't have on my podcast or who awesome. I can or can't write about. And I, that's one of the reasons I love being with SI. It's like, right. hey, look, man, you know, put out good content. That's all we right. care about. And, and, and I'll say just from from my angle, uh, we're kind of going down the, the rabbit hole here a little bit. But from my angle, I've always kind of been on the outsider that just kind of comes to certain things and does certain things. It's not my full time job. And I've always found that the majority of the people on the beat have been extremely helpful to me because yeah. I, I'll be walking into something that I'm not 100% sure on how to handle and how to interview a guy or whatever. Yeah. People have been very, very helpful to me, and I appreciate it. I even coached with uh, Tim when he was Tim and Lou Samoji took locally. me under their wing when I first started yes. coming to the team. Yeah, and, Lou and has, I was I a mean, competitor. I was a competitor of theirs. Yes, I mean, I was exactly. Irish Sports Daily. I was a direct competitor of theirs, and they didn't care. Right. And, because exactly. it's like, hey, and it, to me, that's how it should be. So I'll have, I've gone on podcasts before. I've told guys at Little Sites, hey, man, you want to put your stuff on our board? Go for it. You know what I mean? Because right. I've always believed if if I go on someone else's podcast and they like what I have to say and they're going to listen to that podcast more, they're not going to stop listening to mine. That, right. that makes exactly. no sense. Right. They're going to start listening to both of them. Exactly. And I've just always felt like, you know, the way that Lou and Tim treated me it's kind of have always wanted to be like, Hey, if I can help someone along, like, it, it, I think it's also 
how insecure of me would it be that I'm like, I gotta, I gotta keep you down, right? So that way you don't steal my shine. Look, man, I have enough confidence in my ability and and, and the fans we have that if if you don't like what I have to say and you're gonna go read someone else, okay, whether I help that person or not, it's gonna not gonna matter. But if you like right. what I have to say and someone else, you like what somebody else is say, you're gonna end up reading both of them. Yeah, exactly. And no, I'm you know, I, I wish our beat was more like that. I wish our beat was more cooperative um, because I think that would be better for fans, to be completely honest with you. And, sure. and I do know that there's a lot of people on the beat that would prefer to be that way. But again, it's not always their choice. Exactly. Yeah, I, there's there's a lot of guys that I appreciate and I enjoy. Look, I look forward to talking to them, right? Yeah. Just having like conversations. I and- used to love talk. I love talking to Lou. I love talking ball with Tim. And yeah. we don't agree on a lot of things, which is partly of what makes it fun to talk about, exactly. you know? Yeah. Uh, I have some of the most strange Q&A. Like t- Tim O'Malley and I will just hit each other with like, okay, here's a question for you. Who this or it's just like, you know, there's a, there's a Sean Styers I love talking ball with, you know, who a WSBT. And, you know, again, there's some people I don't care for. I know there's people that don't care for me. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> oh, you know, it's great. But, it yeah. is what it is. Were you able to find that question, by the way, about Kyron Williams and the offensive line? Did you see that Getting, one up there? I haven't gotten down to that one yet. Okay. Here, here's another one, though, from Notre Dame 2164. He asks, uh, Brian, when you're talking about recruits and say the number one guy on my board, what do you mean by my board? Is it the board – just the Notre Dame guys of actually recruiting doesn't include everyone at that position in the country. It when I say number one on my board, it's only referring to guys Notre Dame is recruiting. Right. It's not national because I can't watch everybody. Uh, now I may say sometimes where hey, this is I've watched enough to say hey, this is this guy is a you know. So I we're going to re- be releasing our our top ten receivers at SI today. Uh, we did yours. eleven to twenty five. Yes. Well, it's me and John Garcia collaborating okay. on that. You know, and so we'll watch film. So I've watched. 100 receivers in the country, you know, and so we come up with our list. How do you find hours in the day? (laughs) I know that's a a loaded question. As you found out this morning. Um, (laughs) But, uh, I mean, look, it's one of those things where I can confidently say, hey, look, this guy is, you know, this guy is, you know, still Tobias Merriweather we have as a top 10 receiver. C.J. Williams, you have as top 10 receivers. I can confidently say they're top 10 national receivers. But Tobias is the number one guy on the Notre Dame board. You know, so my or or my board, and I think he's number one on both. And I try to be the reason I say my board is because I want to make sure that I'm clear that I'm giving you my opinion of who the top guy is, not trying to say that that's who necessarily Notre, that's who Notre Dame's Dame. number one. Yeah, guy. exactly. I'll try to if it's if I know the guy's number one on Notre Dame's board, I'll try to specifically say that that's who the staff wants, that kind of thing, because I don't want it there to be confusion. Like, well, Driscoll said he's their top target, and I want to make sure that I don't create that kind of confusion, sure. which can be confusing when you think about you know, I've got my board and then. You'll right. cover kind of what what they kind of do. Uh, Grego with the um, I love this Xavier kilowatts. I like that. <laughs> I, like I like that too. That. I like I do. that. I do. That's a good one. Let's see here. Let's see some more questions. Uh, <laughs> I love when you start. Grego says you Alexander gone on errands to get a burger. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's Did Chris uh, Berman joined the show today. Greg also says Isaiah crazy like a Fosky. Okay, <laughs> Lawrence, just give me the keys. Greg has a lot of time on yeah, his hand. This is good. This is good. So let's get back some questions. Uh, that's that's really good though. Um, <laughs> all right, here let's let's get down to some more questions. So I'm at like 111 for when you okay. get down to me, and I've been gotcha. I didn't see the okay. Um, 
I, it was something, and I'm going to paraphrase here, trying to remember what it said, but it said with an inexperienced offensive line and Kyron Williams uh, propensity to be a good pass blocker, mm-hmm. how often do you think he's going to be able to get out in the pass, uh, you know, to, to be out in pass routes, essentially? Gotcha. Uh, you know, for me, it's it's it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? What's mm-hmm. your route concept? Are you trying to spread the field and just get options open, go through quick reads, get the ball out? When you're doing that, you're going to want to get your backs out. Right. Yeah. If you're trying to run a deep play action concept or you're trying to run a scissors concept or a deep smash or, you know, deep crosser with a post over top, then you're going to want to maybe keep your tight end and your your running back. At, because then because re, re, the running backs, when they release, they're going to occupy that second level of the defense. Right. Correct. They're going to keep a linebacker up or they're going to occupy an underneath safety. And then you got to read that high low. OK, they drop back. We're going to dump it off to the back or the linebackers got up underneath the end cut. So we're going to hit the angle route or the crossing route or whatever. Well, the way you're accomplishing that off of a play action is the run action is getting them to bite down. So the running back is still occupying them, but now it's in a in a run action and now picking up the blitz kind of thing. So it just depends on the on the concept. And again, I there's multiple ways to beat a blitz. One is to have a running back that can pick it up, right? And that's one way to do it. And there are times when you need to do that. The right. other way to beat a blitz is if you want to bring six guys or seven guys on a blitz, yeah, we can keep our tight end and our, our running back out. But what we can also do is I can just go on a free release, swing that running back, and just have the quarterback catch it. You see the blitz, just get rid of the ball. And now you're going to have to have a guy coming from 15 yards trying to tackle Kyron Williams they, in space. Because they don't have enough guys to cover because they're sending them all at the quarterback. I mean, right. it's a numbers game. Right. right. And, and, you know, you have to be you have to be savvy enough as a play caller to know when to try to do the other, but then also have your quarterback coached up well enough to say, hey, you see this, you know what pass concept we got going. You can, right. You, cause the quarterback has to know who's getting blocked and who's not getting blocked. Right. So then as long as you block the guys you're supposed to block, the quarterback can throw off of the guys that you know you're not blocking. Because so like in a uh, a six man protection, you're keeping Kyron Williams into blitz. All right. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We have a mic protection and we'll draw that up one of these days. But essentially, it's the defense. The offensive line is blocking the four down linemen in the middle line, the Mike linebacker, which is why they identify here's who the Mike is, because they're identifying you guys have this guy as quarterback. So then that's telling the running back in a sick in a Mike protection, because usually in a Mike protection, your running back will stay in as well. He's then going to block to the call side, the inside to outside, meaning inside backer. If he comes, if he doesn't come, I'm looking outside. If that guy doesn't come, I'm check releasing. Right. But if inside guy comes, I pick him up. And if the outside guy also comes, quarterback knows that's mine, right? Uh, if both of them come, quarterback's got to know, again, or, or if, if only one of them comes, quarterback's got to know, okay, the outside guy came, the inside guy didn't, the running back's got that guy. So you don't throw hot off that because you don't have a, you don't have a need to. So the quarterback has to know who they are and aren't blocking. And as long as you do that, you, there's things you can do. You can hit them with crossing routes. You can hit them with angle routes. I mean, we've seen, we saw Chip Long do this a little bit. Tommy Reese did this, I think it was against South Florida this year. But they were bringing a blitz, and he just ran an, an angle route right behind it, and just hit him. You know, quick route, and um, you know that's 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 you just have to have different ways to attack. You can't just do it with a running back every time. You can't just do it with free releases every time because then they can play those. They'll say, okay, well we're gonna fly somebody down to take away that swing route, and then you're not gonna have enough time to get the ball downfield. You're gonna get right. sacked. Right. You have to have different ways to mix it up, and that's what good play callers do, in my opinion. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, Brandon, I don't, I don't know what, um, you're referring to the thousand dollar super chat. Yeah. I didn't know what that Did meant. We missed a question of his. I, so Brandon, if you sent a question that we didn't answer, uh, resubmit it. Cause I, I don't, I'm not sure what you're referring to there. So we'll try to 
trying to get to that. Yeah, that was one of the first ones that was back on when I got bumped down, so I didn't know what he okay. was referring to. So okay. Let's see, we got any got any more here, Vince? Uh, like I said, I'm at 111. Okay. You know, if you want me to put that up, let me see here. Uh, Coleman Smith says, "Can you there explain you how we lost out on Jake Taylor? Just, he liked Oklahoma more, I think he, and, and, and they I think did he a better job in, recruiting him. I think he came in liking Oklahoma better. I well, mean, I'm more referring to just how they. I mean, your visit, your your a battle isn't won or lost on the visit. The visit is the culmination of the battle sure. leading up to that point in time, and they just." They never built much of a connection there. They never built the same kind of relationship. He was more enamored with the Notre Dame tradition than he was with Jeff Quinn or Tommy Reese or Brian. I mean, and you're just you're going to lose some of those. I, and and look, and Notre Dame fans don't want to hear this, but but right now Oklahoma has a better O line tradition based on who's there, meaning the vast majority of Notre Dame's established tradition on the offensive line was built during the here he stand era. I mean, just, it's just a fact, you know, even the guys that were all drafted this year were all guys, Harry, he stand recruited. Okay. Well, the guy that's built up Oklahoma's reputation is still there. So there's just, so it's Notre Dame's got a little bit to overcome. And that's why this year is so important for Jeff Quinn, because if you can follow up, you know, the, the, the Joe Moore final, you know, finalist last year, now the whole O-line's all yours. If you go out and put another O line, a great, a really good O line on the field, then now all of a sudden you're building up your reputation for what you do. Right. But on the recruiting trail, the reality is, is it's a very easy to negatively recruit against Notre Dame's offensive line right now. They were mediocre in two of his three years. They happen to have a lot of veterans. They brought in a Harry Heastand disciple and Jeff. Co- I know this is being said. And look, as good as that O line was last year, none of those guys went in the first round because he's not Harry Heastand. Now that may be. Uh, that may be as Notre Dame fans, we may say, "Well, that's not because this, this, and that's that all may be true." But just because it's true doesn't mean that that's not what an eighteen-year-old being told yeah. by the other teams. Exactly. And, and so, I mean, that's just he's going. That's why this year is going to be so important for Coach Quinn. So important for Coach Quinn. We may be a little late on this one, Kai S. He says, "I'm working in South Bend today. Any recommendations on the best pizza in South Bend?" I think it's Polito's personally, Poli- and that's Rocco's out on Hickory. Is really good. Rocco's uh, is good. Yeah. Yeah. Down Rocco's closer is to more downtown. Midwestern style pizza. Okay. Uh, right. Isn't it when you say, right? Yeah. Isn't yeah. it squares? Oh, that's Barnaby's. Okay. Barnaby's is squares. Right. Um, Rocco's is Italian pizza too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rocco's is good. That's that little place over by in South Bend, right? Yeah. Yep. Right before it's you get always too busy after games. You can never Correct. get in there. But that Polito's is, is over on Hickory small. over by Notre Dame. I love Polito's, but Polito's and Rocco's to me are the two best in my opinion. I do not like go. Barnaby's. That's that place where it's like you can get it like buffet style too, right? It's that little brown looking thing over on uh, over off Great. Oh yeah, Barnaby's is yeah, yeah I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, you have to like it's very dark in there. It's it's very yeah. Um, all right, let's see. Huh, here's an interesting. Mike Padone says, guys, when I went to the 1990 Michigan game, I met Rick Meyer. We were guests of Vinny Serrato, also Lou Holtz. My friend Tom Lazinski was a friend of Vinny and went and saw Lou. That's interesting. You know, I've only met Lou Holtz once, and that was back when Urban Meyer was at Bowling Green. Lou Holtz came and spoke at one of his coach's clinics. He is little. I mean, I always Tiny. knew he was little, but he is little. Uh, yeah, he came and he came and spoke at one of the camps. Uh, I want to say it was one of the Irish invasions, and I was there in a different capacity. Um, and he, he walked in, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Lou Holtz. And he was, I mean, he is a little, little man, uh, but man, is he fiery still? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that was like in, in the summer of 19. So the last time I was there, 
Uh, let's see here. Oh, John Rich. Over the past week, you've mentioned Carson Hinsman's name in your offensive prospect list. What makes him back in play? A few weeks ago, it seemed like all three Wisconsin kids were off the board. I don't remember having his name in a list. I'm not, Sean, I'm not sure which article you're referring to. Um, I have some uh, recruiting intel on at Irish Breakdown that basically says that he's not an option anymore. Uh, Billy Shrouth was never off the board. Joe Bruner is off the board. He committed to Wisconsin. Carson Hinsman's basically off the board. So I'm not quite sure. Uh, I'm not quite sure what you're referring to there. I'm, yeah, I, I really don't. I really don't know what you're referring to there. We've talked about Carson Hinsman being a guy I think Notre Dame should have gone. Right. And I think they could have got him, but I don't. I don't think that that's that's the case. Searcher Green says, "Do you think Catron Allen will change Singleton's mind on Penn State, whether?" It's to Notre Dame or not. And that's a running back who is from, I think, IMG that is either about to commit or just committed to Penn State. I don't think so because Notre Dame also has another running back. So I don't think I don't think Nicholas Singleton is. And my understanding is Penn State, he's known that they were going to take a second back. So that's not like we got you and then just randomly, oh, by the way, we're taking another back. He knew that going in. And him picking Penn State had nothing to do with him being not wanting to be in a backfield with Jadarian Price. It's just he felt – gotcha. He and his family felt that was the best option for him, so I don't think it'll it'll matter. Logan Hale, if we don't land Shrouth, Rice, or Wagner, do you see us expanding the offensive line board or sticking with the guys that are already committed? I think they're going to have to expand the offensive line board if they miss out on all those guys. You can't have a three-man class. You, you, I mean, they would have 10 offensive linemen in three years. That's too few, mm-hmm. in my opinion. That would be a two, two deep in three years. That's not enough. Yeah, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody, I mean that that you'd have you have to get you have to get four this year. You have to get four this year. This is an interesting one. Searcher Green says, "Is is the schedule just unlucky for Notre Dame, or is it something else?" There's a seven game streak where six of the seven teams have buys before the Notre Dame game. I think it starts with Cincinnati. Look here, here's my thing on that. Number one, you don't control what the other teams are doing with their schedule. There you go. That, that, that's that's completely out of Notre Dame's control. Number two, wasn't it? Obviously not last year because it was uh, the ACC schedule, and it was the year before that that like. Three quarters of the teams had a bye week before Notre Dame, and they went undefeated. So I don't, I don't put a whole lot of stock in the bye week before Notre Dame thing. That just, it's fun to talk about, I guess. But I don't think, in reality, it really has anything to do with the game that is played on the field. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. It doesn't mean anything. I think bye weeks are a little overrated. I do. Yeah. I think sometimes they can be a detriment. When you're hot, the last thing you want to do is have a bye week. I think right. when bye weeks are good is when you have a lot of injuries. And ones and that can heal up healthy. in that amount of time, yes. But people absolutely. were saying that wasn't there like a ton of buys before Notre Dame played this year too, and, and people were making a big deal out. I just think it's I just think it's not the, it's kind of like home field advantage. You know why is Notre Dame winning all their home games recently? I think because the program's better, now, right, right than it was before. You yes. know Matt Bayless, and then you know all the, it's not necessarily that they're playing at home. It's just that they're they're really good now, and I I think the buy thing is is overplayed. I, I don't think, and if anything, sometimes it can also hurt too because some coaches tend to get a, they they think bye weeks are the time to put in a bunch of stuff, right? They just, overuse, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's 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 a rookie move, man. That is yeah. not smart to do. Uh, but I, I've seen it many many times. Uh, Dave, fifty one days till kickoff. Go Irish! Gosh, that's right around the corner. Holy moly! Yeah, they're going to be reporting for camp in like three and a half weeks. 
And I, I do believe I, I've heard they're not going anywhere for camp. It's going to be on campus. My understanding is there's some construction going on at Culver, and that's yeah. why they're not going. Well, and they've been very – Culver has been very closed about okay. their restrictions and such. Okay. Big time. Like so much so that their high school basketball team only had like four games okay. because teams wouldn't play them because of gotcha. what they wanted them to do. So gotcha. uh, I have a I feeling that's year, part of it. With everything going on, I yeah. you know we're still – Stay home. Sadly, we're still not through this pandemic thing as far as right. people's reactions to it and some sure, of the yeah. different things going on. I, it's best for Notre Dame to stay on campus. Yep. You know, stay on campus and have camp here. And the thing is now, Vince, the facilities are such that they don't need to. I agree with that. You but when the they first started going to Culver, yeah. they yeah. needed to be out there. I, yeah. And I don't think that's the case right now. I and really there's don't. There's plenty of team building things you can. Yeah. I kind of like the notion of going to a place because it allows you to kind of go and you just, it's you and the sure. team and you can't go anywhere. People can't go back to their houses every night. Right. But I, I just think that there's plenty of team building things you can do now that don't require you to just be gone for a week. Well, and you uh, can, I mean, look, you can put everybody in a dorm at sure. Notre Dame and you can sure. kind of mimic that sure. togetherness and sure. you can do all that. Um, but anyway. Yeah. I did like the Culver thing. Didn't like to drive down there to watch practice, though. No, nah, it was not fun. I'm <laughs> just going to say it. Uh, Eating at that restaurant afterwards, that last couple years at BGI, that's different. doing the live shows with Lou, that was pretty good. That's different. And if we were going to be going down to Culver, that is something that we were going to try to do for sure. But uh, anyway, uh, Joseph Salvatore says, Happy Friday, guys. Thanks for the show. Can you guys discuss what happened with the 23 offensive lineman Alex Birchmeyer? Where we just flat out beat by Penn State, he seemed like a Notre Dame O lineman. Yeah, he just just got beat for him, and, <laughs> and that Harry Heastan got beat from time to time. I mean, you know, Ben Bredesen picked Michigan over him over Notre Dame. They wanted him, and they're going to lose. The, the problem that I have is they're losing too many of these battles. That's my my issue. Revolver sixty two thirty eight. Great show as usual, guys. Thank you, sir. Uh, would Saban be winning at Notre Dame like he is at Alabama? Is it true that he once said that he would crawl to South Bend to coach Notre Dame? I've never heard him say that. If he did, uh, it was early in his career, I would imagine. Right, maybe when he's a Toledo. Yeah. Uh, no, look, I, <laughs> I, have, I, I do know, I have heard from plenty of people that, that Nick Saban has a great deal of respect for the Notre Dame program. Just part, part of the reason he, he took – Honestly, he took the brakes off. He took he took his foot off the gas in 2012 and 2020. They could have scored two more touchdowns in 2012. Uh, he is a Catholic. He has a great deal of respect for Notre Dame. He's a Midwestern guy. So he is a Midwestern guy. So I think, you know, and he's a Catholic, so there's a lot of respect there, but he's never going to come to Notre Dame. He Not after would come to Alabama. And just, would he have won at Notre Dame the way he did at Alabama in the fact that he would have won six titles in a decade? No, I don't think so. I don't think um, he would have gotten the support right away that no. he got at Alabama, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and the facilities weren't there. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, look, there are more Southern players in the South. So, there again, they're – I'm not saying recruiting at Notre Dame is easy. I'm not. I'm not saying there aren't certain things you have to overcome. There were for Lou Holtz. It's just that you they're not debilitating. They're not things that are going to keep you from winning a championship. And and that's really my my thing that I've pushed back against for so long is that's more what I have a problem with. Sure. But yeah. you could win there. Could he have won a couple titles at Notre Dame? Probably. 
You know, I mean, LSU wasn't exactly known for a championship program, and he won. And this is what you know. A lot of people don't forget is Nick Saban won a title at LSU. When was the last time LSU won a national title? When was the last time LSU was a national title contender? Yeah, before he built them into one, he would have probably won a couple titles at Notre Dame, I think. Yeah, but you know, yeah, he he wasn't. (laughs) He's not coming to Notre Dame. And and from what I'm told, Miss Terry was not going to be happy about moving to. I had had heard she makes those calls as well, <laughs> to a degree anyway, right? And good for him. That's how you uh, run a family. But excuse me, we got a super chat, Brian. I don't know if you want to go down there and hunt for that. Yeah. Jay says, Brian, could you see Billy Shrouth taking his recruitment in the fall to watch a Notre Dame and Wisconsin game to compare each visit? Possibly. I don't think that would necessarily be the reason for it. I think it'd just come down to He's having a hard time picking. I think there's, I think there's the school he likes, and then there's a school where there's a lot of pressure for him to go to. And I think the Wisconsin staff, the all the Wisconsin staff did a better job than than the Notre Dame. I don't think Jeff Quinn did a good job of of closing that one out. Just simple as that. I mean, I thought they thought they were going to get him, and so I think they kind of took it for granted while the whole time mm-hmm. the Wisconsin staff saying, "Come, come, 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 play for us." Yeah, and I just think Notre Dame's offensive line coach didn't do a very good job. The thing that's keeping him in the game is the fact that Tommy Reese never backed off of him. But now offensive Kelly. line coaches have to have to have a. I mean, you're not going to get offensive linemen if the offensive line coach isn't doesn't have a right. great bond. They're they're. I've, I've said this before. That's a different breed of kid. Offensive linemen are a different breed. Not every kid's that way, but most are that way. Especially yeah. midwestern kids. Uh, they very much have that unit mentality. And in, 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 sure, you have to have a lot of trust and respect for the O-line coach. And so you may like everything else about a program except that, and you're going to pick – more often than not, you're going to pick the school where you have the connection with the offensive line coach, even mm-hmm. if other things aren't the same. So I just uh, I just think they got outworked for it. But I think the fact they're still in the game says a lot about his affinity for Notre Dame and why – and the fact – it gives me thought that maybe they could they could, in fact, win that one. Patrick Barnes says, can you guys start doing a post-game show in the fall as soon as the game ends? We are, not not to go too far behind the curtain here, we are efforting uh, that to be the case. There's a lot of moving parts to that, right, Brian? There's a, you gotta, if you're doing it right after the game, you're going to be doing it from the press box, and finding a quiet place to do that is not the easiest thing. Well, as of right now, there's and- probably going to be a better chance that we're going to do that than we were a week ago. That's a fair statement. So yes, I was thinking that as well, but yeah, I wasn't we're still trying to that. figure all that out. Um, there's there's just a lot. There's a lot into it. You know, yeah, there's logistics. The thing is, too, is we want to have a show that we can kind of answer a lot of questions and and you know give you all a chance to get your thoughts and opinions out after sure. games, and that's going to be impossible to do for any period of time after the game because there's a time right. like where they're like you you got to go. Yeah, right. they kick us out. <laughs> Literally, right. they kick us out after. And a we can't time. leave with twenty minutes before the game's over to get home in time to start it as soon as the game is over. So it, it, it's going to be impossible to do it as soon as the game ends because we have post game articles we have to do. Right. But we're hoping to be able to have something where within twenty yeah. minutes of the game being over, we can. That's our plan. We so, can have some. But we will let everybody know our our actual plan as we get closer to the season. But we've got because this of will be our first season with the post game show because you know in the past Correct. we we. We didn't do it, and and we didn't do. We weren't shows. doing this until January, so yeah. I mean, we didn't start doing live shows till what? Like well, live shows, period. March, yeah. February, March, right? So we want to do so, one. I just I will put it that way. We just we don't know the logistics do of the when we're, yet. We're we will have a post game show this year. It yeah. just don't know if it's going to be 
five minutes after the game or 30 minutes after the game or an hour after the game. Right. And how that's going to vary between night games and, and day games and road oh, games man. and all that stuff. Because road yeah. games present another challenge. Correct. Um, so, yeah. Got another super chat, Brian. Uh, Corey D says, you missed my super chat earlier. Who starts oh. a linebacker? I'm sorry about that. I did not see that. Dude, I apologize. Uh, and will Avery Davis and Lawrence Keyes play at the same time? Davis is good, but more Keyes, please. I think you can play them together for sure. I, yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think that there are times when you can, uh, you know, you can go out there and play Lawrence outside. I mean, the biggest play Lawrence Keyes has made in his career was a, 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 a play he made as an outside guy. It, it was against um, Georgia. Remember that? The, the the outside go route where he just outplayed the guy for the ball. So I think that's a big one. I, I think he can do that. I think Avery can do some things outside. I think yeah. he can do some things together uh, where you are um, one guy's inside, one guy's outside. I think there's a lot of different things that you can do in that regard. So I think you can use them together. I think you can both use them both in the slot. I think you can do some things where maybe Lawrence is in the slot. We've talked about this. Maybe put Avery in the backfield a little bit. Absolutely. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, are they going to play together for 60 snaps a game? Probably not. But are there times when you can have them on the field together for 10, 15 snaps a game if they're two of your three best receivers? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Absolutely. Because I think, too, is, is Avery's more of a true slot. But I think Lawrence's route running ability gives him the potential to be more effective over uh, on the outside. The problem is you can't run the route you've been running, however. You can't run Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin routes, right? Like that, you can't Back run Ben Skronik. Yeah. yeah, you have to use stuff where he's crossers, drags. Com you can do comebacks because he's a good route runner. Sure. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do, but you you can't. Basically, you can't run big boy routes, right? And there's routes that you can do with a 6'4 guy you can't do with a 5'11 guy. There's things you can do with a 5'11 guy you can't do with a 6'4 guy. That's going to be the key for Coach Reese is, okay, here's my personnel. I don't have a bunch of big boys. I can't run you know, the stuff we did with Javon and Miles and Chase and those kind of things. We got to do different things because these are the strengths of our players. And I think that Coach Reese understands that. I think he's smart enough to do that. And I think they'll be successful doing that. And Corey, I do apologize that, that we missed your yeah, that was our your super you, chat earlier. Did you answer the linebacker part of that? Uh, who starts at linebacker? You know, um, here it is, right here, Vince. We hadn't got to it yet. Uh, I want to see more of L Keys. Will Davis give me and who starts a linebacker? So I do apologize about Sorry, that. Sorry, Corey. I want to get your other question on there. Uh, but who starts a linebacker? I mean, right now the only thing I can go with is just who kind of the starters were at the end of last year: Shane Simon and Drew White, and then yep. Jack Kaiser at Rover. I mean that. I think That's there's going to be a battle fall, at all yeah. three of those spots at fall camp. Yeah, I do so too. Uh, it's hard for me to say that because I, I think there is really good competition there. There's going to be a battle there. I think guys are going to be be going after each other, and you know we'll find out we'll find out um, if they're going to be able to to you know some of those guys can, be, can Bo Bauer battle and beat Drew White out? Or, you know, can he can he at least maybe he doesn't start, but he plays more snaps. That's the other share. part of this too, Corey. Is yeah there may be times when the starter doesn't play as many snaps as the second guy that that could also happen, especially right. inside. Well, so that's I, another part of the question. I think the scary part is there's two returners uh, for three spots. And I think the new guy, Jack Kaiser has it most locked down of the three, even mm -hmm. though the two other guys are returning starters. Um, so, yeah. I'm, but again, there's going to be competition at all three spots. So I, I think that's going to be one of the fun things to watch. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's going to be more split time, uh, in this defense as well. So uh, we'll see. We, we shall see.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.